The law allowing for recreational marijuana use in its retail sale recently went into effect in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. On today's program, we'll hear from an anti-marijuana activist who has been working tirelessly to educate the public and our lawmakers in an attempt to stop legalization efforts. We'll explore the reasons why people are opposed to the legalization of marijuana coming up next on Chapters. My name's Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. As most people are aware, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has approved the recreational use and retail sale of marijuana. Our guest today is decidedly against its legalization and has been working on a national basis to educate the public and our lawmakers in an effort to defeat its legalization. Aubrey Adams works as a paid spokesperson for Parents Opposed to Pot and also volunteers her time lobbying our lawmakers and educating the public on the very real risks of marijuana use. Aubrey comes to us via Skype today, all the way from Houston, Texas. Welcome, Aubrey. Thank you for having me. The history of our current marijuana laws dates back to 2008 when marijuana was decriminalized in Massachusetts. And since that time in 2013, we legalized the sale of medical marijuana. And most recently, effective this past July 2018, uh, retail sales of recreational marijuana have been allowed in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And this is all part of a national trend, Aubrey, that uh, has seen marijuana being not only decriminalized and legalized through, through the law, but also normalized almost in, in a lot of, sadly, in a lot of households. Is this something you've seen? Yeah, they've, le- they've normalized it, they've glorified it, and now they've commercialized it. So now they're act- they actively are recruiting users. In my experience working with parents, their sons and daughters have fallen victim to our nation's number one health epidemic, which is the opioid crisis right now. None of the stories, Aubrey, start with my son or daughter started using opioids. Correct. 99.999% of all of these stories start with my son or daughter started experimenting with alcohol and weed. Does that mirror your experience? And tobacco. Yes. And tobacco. Yeah. So Aubrey, why don't we back up a little bit and tell us a little bit about yourself. You are uh, now in Houston, Texas. Is that right? That's right. I moved here this past July Um, to continue to support my son's recovery. I had to make a decision whether I was going to continue and live live in Colorado and have my younger son exposed to marijuana on a daily basis. Um, I'm talking marijuana smoke and smell um, and advertising. Or was I going and bringing my older son back with us? Or was I going to go and, and dive into my recovery, too, and be part of his recovery community in Houston. Right, right. So you actually moved as a result of this of this epidemic. Absolutely. And your, and I, your experience I with would, that. Yep. I would still be living in Colorado if it was not for the legalization of marijuana. Mm-hmm. You're a physical therapist by trade? Yeah, assistant. Yes, yeah, assistant, I am. assistant physical therapist, and you have three children. I have two kids. Two, two, two children, kids. I'm sorry, and, and dogs, I know that as well. <laughs> but dogs, you, yeah. you've been active in a number of areas. Um, you are an advocate, as we mentioned before, and you do a lot of freelance work. Can you describe some of the organizations you've been working with over time? 
Um, yeah. Um, well, I network with a, a bunch of organizations, but the ones I'm working closely with is Parents Opposed to Pot and America Against Legalizing Marijuana, um, which is a former name for Citizens Against Legalized Marijuana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have you did live in Pueblo, Colorado. You sat there during this big legalization, Colorado being one of the first states that legalized marijuana. So you saw this firsthand unfold right in front of you. Can you share with us some of um, the experience? Let's let's start with the personal experience that you have with your son. Well, um, I moved to Pueblo, Colorado in 2005. Um, marijuana was not a topic of conversation. Uh, we were never exposed to it. We never smelt it. Um, and by 2013, they were wanting to legalize it. I know 2009, they legalized medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. I actually voted yes for that. I regret that vote now. Right. Um, I'll get into that later. But um, when in 2013, when it passed, I thought, well, that's a really stupid policy, but it won't affect my family. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever somebody wants to do, let them do it. It's not going to affect me. Right. Um, and by 2014, when the stores opened that January, um, you know, we, we had seen some clues where my son had written 420 on his arms and his clothes. Um, and 420 which is, is mar- a slang for, for marijuana, right? Right. It's a marijuana holiday now, which is another holiday we're going to see a lot of death on, right. unfortunately, mm-hmm. because they've really marketed this um, April 20th to be the marijuana holiday. Um, and... Um, so, you know, when my son wrote the 420 on his arms and um, and clothes, you know, he was active in Boy Scouts and baseball and doing well in school. Um, he wasn't a great student, but he had a lot of support. Um, we talked to him about it and told him, you know, this isn't necessarily a good law. Um, and he said he understood, by, but, but in his eighth grade year, which was 2014, his behavior started changing. We just thought he was going through a hard time in adolescence, a big breakup with a girlfriend, you know, just that transitioning into adulthood can be quite hard. Um, his behavior was changing. He was starting to self-harm. He was becoming very emotional. Um, and we did not realize that he was already starting to use marijuana edibles mm-hmm. um, because the m- industry makes these products in deceptive forms to disguise use. So parents really don't even know when they're using. Right. So by his fresh between his eighth grade and freshman year, it was apparent he was having a problem. Um, we still didn't know the extent of it. Um, and then by his freshman year, we were for sure um, we knew he was using, and um, he was getting in trouble at school. He was getting kicked out of school. He was getting suspended. He was getting in fights. He was becoming defiant at home. His grades were failing. Um, and by February, 2015, he had what I call a psychotic break. Mm. Um, he was that whole week. He was irrational. He was paranoid. He was, um, perseverating and repeating things over and over again. That did not make sense. Um, he was inconsolable. Mm -hmm. He was, um, crying constantly and he could not calm down. Um, and he wanted it to end. He wanted this chaos in his brain to end, and he tried to kill himself. Oh, my um, goodness. He took about 200 ibuprofen tablets, and he, um, I didn't know, and I was in denial, and I sent him to bed. But I woke up the next morning with him saying, laying on the couch, saying, Mom, I don't feel good. I don't want to go to baseball practice. And when I 
walked by his room, I saw all the vomit everywhere, all over his floor and bed. Um, so I took him, we took him to the ER. I was still in quite a bit of denial at that point, And he was hospitalized in a psychiatric unit for five days. I'm so sorry, um, Aubrey. I mean, it's, it's every parent's nightmare that you're living. It, is. Yeah. it really is. It, it, our world was changed upside down. I think my husband and I cried constantly for about four days straight because we just could not understand what was happening. And and nobody knew how to help us. Nobody, nobody, everybody was very uncomfortable. Um, we're questioning everything and anything we had done up to that point. Um, when he got out of this um, first hospitalization, he, he came out and he started using marijuana again mm-hmm. and he was still suicidal. Mm-hmm. And I had taken him back to the ER. I think he'd only been out of um, the hospital less than a week. Aubrey, could I just ask you, uh, how old yeah. is he at this point in 2015? He's, he's 15. 15, thank you. Yeah. And um, he started when he was 14 in eighth grade. Um, but then when we we're back in the ER, the psych liaison told me it's just marijuana and sent us home. So I took him home. I was scared and his behaviors escalated again. He was still suicidal. Within two days, I had him back in the ER again. And I told the psych liaison, I was so upset. I said, I don't want my son to die. I don't know how to help him. And he said, well, the problem is there's not enough available beds in our town of Pueblo, Colorado. That's why you were sent home. Not enough available beds for treatment. For treatment. For treatment, Mm -hmm. for drug and alcohol addiction. Or in this case, drug addiction. Or his suicidal behaviors. Suicide. Okay, so this is psychiatric beds. Yes. Okay. But they don't have treatment for drug treatment either. Um, But that's an incredible statement in 20, at the time, 2015. I mean, to think that we don't have enough beds for mental illness, which now uh, substance use disorder is classified as mental illness. So that's, that's part of the problem, but we'll continue on that later. Yeah. Yeah. So he knew how upset I was. He knew how scared I was. And he found um, a bed for him in Colorado Springs where he was hospitalized for another five days. Um, I was still in a lot of denial at this point. I was trying to figure out what to do, how to hold on to my job, continue to do what I needed to do. And when he got out of this hospital, you know, I sat down with him and I, I was like, what, what, what can I do to help you? What is going on with you? Mm. And he said, um, he said, mom, um, I was dabbing and I knew it was making me feel crazy and I was actually trying to quit. Right. So dabbing is a process where they, where they actually boil down the marijuana and, uh, crystallize or concentrate the THC up to as much as 98% is my understanding. Right. Is that right, Aubrey? That's right. And until this day, people don't even, even in the state of Colorado, do not know what dabs are. Right. So I said to him, what the blank is a dab? I had no clue what a dab was. And he said, mom, it's a, it's really strong marijuana. It's crack weed. And so that's what we call it. Crack weed. Yeah. And what, what they do to make dabs is they stuff the plants into a tube and they pour butane, infuse it with butane, which the dripping, the oil, Um, concentrates the THC so they do get up to 99% potency with that and and this is a very dangerous strong drug and they what I found out when I started educating myself on what it was is um, I found out that they call it medicine 
and they sell it in every medical and recreational shop in our town of Pueblo, Colorado. Dabs and I was or poor. Crack weed. We're going to continue to talk more about the marijuana industry and what's happening. I just want to remind everybody we're speaking with Aubrey Adams. Aubrey is activist and advocate helping our nation grapple with the issue of legalized marijuana. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at www.chaptersradio.com. So, Aubrey, we were just talking about your son and his experience and really what was a psychotic break. And I don't think a lot of people understand marijuana and what has happened to the concentration of THC over time. I was reading something just recently that in 1995, the average concentration of THC in marijuana was around 4%. And uh, in 2014, that had tripled to 12%. However, in the legal market, as we see it right now, it's as high as 30%, and that's in smokable weed. And what you're talking about, while they do smoke wax as well as, as ingest it through edibles, uh, THC levels as high as 98%. So that's the part of the big problem with this industry is that it's not regulated. You don't know what the level, it's not like a bottle of Jack Daniels where I say it's 100 proof, or oh, I know what's going to happen if I drink two shots of this versus a beer. Is, is that fair to say about the potency of marijuana? Well, that is fair to say. And and they have made some changes in Colorado, but they don't mean anything. It's just the way of the industry to make themselves feel better and, and a way for the state officials to make themselves feel better where they where they have um, a serving size of edible has to be limited to 10 grams THC. But a whole candy bar could have 100 grams of THC. So, you know, like with Levi Ponge, who who died from a marijuana edible, um, he was told the instructions for him were to eat a sixth of a marijuana cookie. So he did that. Um, and then he didn't feel any effects and he ended up eating the whole cookie because most people can't eat of a sixth of a cookie. You right. know, when you see a cookie, you usually eat the whole thing. Right. Um, it doesn't, what, regardless make, of what it doesn't make sense to the average person. What do you mean a no. sixth of a cookie? How hard, how harmful could this be? Or a gummy bear or whatever else it comes in. So right. back, back to your son's experience. So he's, he's now had this major psychotic break. He had been waxing or dabbing, which is crack weed as he calls mm -hmm. it now, but that's not the end of the story by a long shot. No, what what no. then happened with your with your family and your son? Well, um, my friend who worked for the Department of Social Service told me I could volunteer my family for crisis intervention because she said, you won't find treatment for marijuana. She said, but you have the right to volunteer your family. So I did that. And it took me a little while, but I got a case open with the Department of Social Service. And we had a home therapist come into our home and work with the whole family. And for a while, he got better. Um, then he got worse. Um, he went to live with um, my parents who lived down the street um, because he was becoming very abusive. I was going to ask uh, you, Robby, so when you say better and worse, could you describe that for listeners, what you mean by that? Was it uh, his psychiatric condition or was he relapsing uh, with weed or what, what was happening? Well, I think he was sober for a while. Mm -hmm. I think he was not using for a while mm -hmm. and, and that was helping him clear up. And so and he was scared. And he, I don't think he necessarily wanted to use, um, but, you know, the addiction had already started in and the peer pressure was there for him. Um, it's very common for kids to smoke marijuana and he wanted to fit in and he wanted to feel like, you know, I'm just part of yep. the crowd. So he, he did relapse. Um, and not only did he go to marijuana, but then he went to meth and heroin too. 
um, unfortunately. And um, he ended up getting treatment, a 90-day treatment program up in Denver. And unfortunately, that that treatment center, um, they used they used some meds with him. And I always say marijuana is not only a gateway to harder drugs, but it's a gateway to prescription medication. So the marijuana industry is always touting how this takes people off prescription meds. It's just a plain lie. Exactly. it's unbelievable what they get away with. So, um, unfortunately, they over they they prescribed too much medication for him there, and he was like a walking zombie. He was drooling. He was sleeping every time I would come see him. He could barely stay awake. Um, and then he he did not really get better, but he he came back home, and we started with another home therapist, and he appeared to get better for a while, but then um, relapsed again. And he chose to go to marijuana because he viewed it as the safer drug. Sure. We already know what his history with marijuana is, and it makes him mentally ill. So then now he's on the streets, and now he's gone for days at a time. And he would show up. I had lost my job at this point. I had walked away from my job because I thought finding treatment for him was my full-time job. The Department of Social Services had discharged us, um, saying there was nothing they could do to help us. And I was trying to find him treatment, calling pretty much every treatment center in America. Um, there was a place that was willing to accept him in Utah. Right. And um, when he came home, I took him to the ER where they did an intervention with him. And he, he agreed that he would go um, and said, yes, he knows he needs help. And um, we were getting him ready to go. It was a working cattle ranch. I had bought him the clothes he needed. And um, the executive director called me and said, um, you need $36,000. Um, or you can't come because insurance, your insurance necessarily will not reimburse us and we can't cover the cost of this. Right. Uh, I did not have that money. Right. And, uh, and so he, at this time, my son was vomiting about seven times a day. He was skinny, very skinny, and he was only testing positive for marijuana. Um, people don't believe me when I tell them that, but this is the truth. I do. I've witnessed it. And he's, uh, yeah, and he was taking long, hot showers constantly. He couldn't eat. And um, as soon as he started feeling better, which took about a week, and um, he knew I didn't have the money to take him to this treatment center. He knew I had no plan in place. He was back on the streets. I mean, up to gone up to five days at a time. Mm And, and other people in the community were harboring him and giving him marijuana. Mm-hmm. I just want to refer people back to some science, which Aubrey more than has her share of it, and I'd ask you to add to this. Marijuana-induced psychosis is a recognized problem. Uh, again, marijuana leading to increased rates of mental illness, in particular schizophrenia, in particular in disassociative related um, illnesses, particularly with people that start using as adolescents. The National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine came out with conclusive evidence that while there were certain types of medical uses they claim for marijuana, multiple sclerosis, for instance, nausea with, uh, with cancer, overwhelmingly they found that marijuana-induced psychosis was highest in those that started to use marijuana at a young age, that is, prior to the age of 25, and that uh, schizophrenia rates were increased up to 15% more than the general population in those that started using at a young age. Does this corroborate with, with what you know, Aubrey, to be true? That's true, because there were multiple conversations with counselors about if is he schizophrenic. 
he had he had multiple episodes of this psychotic breaks and and it's very scary and it's it's hard to recognize and you're in a bit denial about it um but he knows um that if he goes back to it the chances of him becoming schizophrenic are high now that's a very hard thing for a young kid to face in this country because Even the other kids he's in recovery with, many of them are relapsing back to marijuana, and maybe they don't have a problem, but my son does. Right, and it's not always a one-to-one correlation. Just with, right. I, like, you'll hear somebody anecdotally say, well, I have a, an uncle that smoked five packs a day, and he lived till 99. Well, right. for every one of those uncles, you know another dozen that, that have died of lung cancers. Over time, we have to go back to science. And the science really is in on this. And the unfortunate part is that it gets manipulated a lot for, guess what, pro-business, for, right. for making a big buck. I just want to remind people, we're speaking with marijuana activist Aubrey Adams. Aubrey Adams is with us from Houston, Texas. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find our podcast at chaptersradio.com. Aubrey, your son happily now is living in recovery. Yes. He's a man living in recovery, which isn't easy. Yeah, he has an addiction to tobacco, which is a concern because yeah. that is a gateway back to using. Sure. And that doesn't allow the brain to heal all the way. But he is stabilized. He has anxiety. Um, but overall, he, he is doing very well. And I'm, I'm very blessed that he is sober. Now, um, I want to encourage people to take a look at Aubrey. It's A-U-B-R-E-E, Adams, A-D-A-M-S. Take a look at her YouTube channel. Uh, you will see a, a, a lot of information, a lot of videos on this issue. If you have, you know, look at, I know there are people out on each side of this issue, if you will. And I'm someone who likes to engage all sides of an issue. However, I've been a learn-to-cope facilitator now for the better part of six years. I've been involved with the SAFE Coalition since its inception for three years. I've also had personal experience where I've witnessed uh, a young man fall to this exact illness that we're talking about, marijuana-induced psychosis and other cognitive problems that he still battles today at 27 years of age, having started using at 12 years of age. I'm here and I'm telling you right now, I get phone calls on a regular basis to our safe coalition hotline, which are parents asking how to get their kids to stop using. And that goes back to an issue, whether or not marijuana is addictive. I'll tell you what, there are people that want to drum, beat the drum and tell me there's no science in that it's addictive. But Aubrey, first of all, let's start out with gambling. Gambling's addictive. I can tell you personally, Lay's potato chips and Ben and Jerry's are addictive. Any behavior can be addictive psychologically, but there's also a medical component to marijuana, isn't there, relative to addiction? Oh, yeah. It's just like any other drug. I mean, you get the dopamine release, the reward system in your brain. You know, you get that dopamine release with eating, you know, sex, drugs, and marijuana is no different. And the fact that they say that that it is different is just a flat out lie. Right. Um, you know, may, and, and now that the potency is going up, we're seeing the addiction rate go up. And I've been watching, um, I've been networking with some experts and hearing what they're saying. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say this is an exact science, but they're saying that the addiction rate is about 18%. It's climbing up close to the opioid addiction rate, which, which I believe is 24%. And that would charge, that would chart very, very well along with the increase in THC concentration in in what they're using. So as the drug gets stronger, here's a surprise, people get addicted. We have 33 states, that's my understanding, that have legalized in some form marijuana, whether it's medicinal or or for retail sale. Is that your understanding, Aubrey, right now? 
Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's some, it is right there at three, 33. Ten states, uh, including our state of Massachusetts, have expansive uh, legalization, which would include retail sales. Interestingly, and this one really caught my eye, the Journal for the American Medical Association, or JAMA, cites the fact a lot of people will point to opioids as being the reason to legalize marijuana. Therefore, by saying, hey, look, we can help treat opioid addiction with marijuana. We can encourage people to stay off opioids if they have better access to marijuana. There's a sad fact out there right now that JAMA just published. In fact, it was an article that you posted to your Facebook site that said that there were a 55% higher death rate from opioid-related fatalities in states where marijuana has been decriminalized or legalized. That's right. Which, you know, tracks more along the fact that drugs are bad. Drugs are addictive. Drugs cause bad behavior. They lead to other drugs. Your son picked up meth and heroin after using just marijuana, in quotes. So where you increase drug use, you're going to see harder and harder drugs involved. It makes sense, right? right? That's right. And the marijuana charade is unraveling right before our eyes. They can't get away with this propaganda that they're spreading all across the United States. And and each American needs to ask themselves, what is driving this? You know, supposedly 10% of our population use marijuana. Why are we catering to this? Why are we enabling this in the biggest drug epidemic of our time, in the biggest mental health crisis of our time? Why are we allowing this to happen? I mean, the first thing we learn in in recovery is quit enabling the behavior. But so not only are these states enabling the behavior, they're putting it in pretty shops and pretty packages. They're telling everybody it's harmless and not addictive. And they're preying upon the vulnerable population, the youth. And they're getting away with it with no accountability. Um, it's it's a complete tragedy, and I think this is the number one issue that is affecting every issue in America. Boy. And now we see other countries falling for it. And and people say to me, Aubrey, you you've got to you know not work so hard on this issue. You've got to calm down a little bit because we have to ruin a full generation first before people stay um, pay attention to this. And I said, Oh no. <laughs> I will not sit idle and watch a whole generation um, be destroyed by this. That's unacceptable to me. And it should be unacceptable to every other American out there. And if you're an American that doesn't even use marijuana, but you're supporting this industry, you really need to understand what you're supporting. You're supporting an industry that's addiction economics. So they're going to make their money off people that are addictive, people that are heavy users, they're not going to make much money off the casual user. And you think you're voting for the casual user. You are not. We have not benefited from alcohol. We have not benefited from tobacco. And now we're adding fuel to the fire of addiction. But now people need to understand it's fuel to the fire of mental illness and how some of that mental illness, not all of it, leads to violence. Um, And there's going to be more literature coming out. There's a book coming out in January that's going to talk more about that. But people need to start demanding to see what the toxicology reports on these mass shooters and all that stuff. Because um, what I have witnessed has changed me forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm the lucky one. Um, But it's horrifying to sit back and watch this destroy other people. Right. Um, I'll keep doing it 
I'm so appreciative of your activism, Aubrey, because you're saying, listen, it's it's a lonely fight sometimes because uh, you will get militant people. And I've seen your YouTube videos where you actually are in a marijuana facility speaking to the owner and they're in your face and they want to get you off their back. Um, the fact of the matter is we need courageous people to stand up to big business, which this is. Big Pharma got us in huge trouble with the opioid crisis. Purdue Pharmaceutical is being sued by 39 states right now, including the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Um, there are protests outside Purdue. Nobody shouts them down. That's that's fine. But you know what? It wasn't long ago that doctors were being marketed to by Purdue Pharma, telling them that opioids were safe to manage chronic pain and non-addictive to people for long-term use. As a result, we have our nation's number one health epidemic. We will lose upwards of 40,000 people this year to opioid-related fatalities. Aubrey Adams is speaking the truth about another drug. Guess what? When you introduce a chemical to somebody's brain before the age of 25 in a developing brain, it interrupts the synapses in the brain, a misfiring in that brain that may be permanent. And that's fact. You don't let, we don't let our kids drink Kool-Aid anymore because it's got too many sugars in it. We watch the preservatives in our food. We want organic everything else, but yet we're willing to take something like marijuana and legalize it with absolutely no governor on it and no, uh, no modification relative to what the potency of it is and everything else. It's just, it's, it's a very, very scary situation. I want to remind everybody we're speaking with Aubrey Adams. Aubrey is a, a national advocate fighting against the legalization of marijuana. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, chaptersradio.com. Aubrey, let's go down some of the pros for marijuana legalization that is used by the industry and then look at some of the cons. Some of the pros. Dismantle the black market. Talk to me about how the black market and marijuana correlate. They're they're connected. You can't separate the two. Drug dealers are drug dealers, regardless of what laws you make. Um, the legalization of marijuana is a front for drug dealers to come into your neighborhood and set up grows and shops and sell from their home. The legalization of marijuana has made a stay-at-home mom and dad rich. They can grow their own marijuana and sell to the neighborhood kids. If they want to make big money, they can sell to out-of-state people coming. For example, my parents live right next door to an illegal marijuana grow. They have downsized and moved into a small home, uh, made like a little cute environment for them, and they smell dead skunk all the time and even inside their home. In my neighborhood, um, behind my alley, there was a home invasion to steal marijuana. Then the other house um, was growing marijuana and selling it to the black market. The people just had to come down the alley and pick it up. And my other neighbors who have three small young children um, couldn't even let their kids play in the backyard because of the marijuana small smoke coming into the backyard and that eventually came into their house. But the big kicker is this. There was a man named Brad Fowler that lived three blocks away from me, a hundred feet from my parents' garage before they downsized their house. And he was selling marijuana. He was making money off the legalization of marijuana and he was selling to outside people. So he was going uh, outside out of state people. So he was going for the big money and the men came to buy um, marijuana of him. It was December 2nd, 2016. And they shot Mr. Fowler, and he lay dead in the street on a Friday morning at 9 a.m. We had never had a homicide in my neighborhood before. So the legalization of marijuana fuels the black market. Um, 
you will have you 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 will never see a community change so fast if you legalize marijuana. Do you know of any statistics that are available for crime relative to states that have legalized so far? Um, I know in Colorado, our crime has increased by 11 percent. 11% increase. Yes. In a state that legalized marijuana. Yeah. You're going to where there's drugs, there are crimes. You can put it and you can change policies all you want. But the legalization of marijuana is a promotional drug policy. That means every home is a potential drug house and it's legal for them to be a potential drug house. Promotional Um, drug policy. I love the way you put that. Yeah. And it's. uh, there's not enough law enforcement that can manage every household in a state. Right. We have thousands and thousands of illegal marijuana grows throughout our state of Colorado. In a state that it's legalized. Every state that's legalized. Incredible. That's right. Everybody keeps thinking, oh, if we legalize nationwide, that'll go away. No. Um, people are very foolish when it comes to this issue. They think drug dealers will follow the rules. <laughs> the drug dealers are waiting for you to legalize so they can set up more shops. And and they don't have to grow in, in other countries anymore. They can grow right here in America. It's better business, better profit for them. So, so what do we say? What do we say about the next pro for, for, for legalization? Increased tax revenue. All the states, they say, hey, everybody's smoking it anyway. Let's get our hands in this pie and let's tax it. No, they don't talk about the costs, do they? Hmm. Not, not so, yeah. at all, no. They'll bring in some money. And I think it's less than 1%. It's not a lot. I know, the co- I know that we, I can tell you that when I testified on uh, Beacon Hill in 2014 about my personal experience with marijuana, 13 senators had just returned from an exploration trip to Colorado to find out how to legalize it properly. 12 of them came back out of the 13 and said, we are not going to legalize it right now. Not now. We don't know enough about it. It's a nightmare out there. They're, they're dealing with all kinds of problems, including increased crime, crime including a black market that it, they didn't think they had. These were senators that went out in favor of legalizing marijuana in Massachusetts and in one week turned around and came back and said 12 of the, the 13 and said no. So and a big part of that was the tax revenue didn't come through the way that they thought it would in Colorado. So it's a fraction of what they thought it would be. So is that been your experience with, with weed in, in Colorado? Oh yeah. I mean, and, and when those senators are coming to Colorado, they don't, they don't come see me. They don't right. come see Dr. Randall in our ER. We invite these, these um, elected officials all the time. I mean, we we've, we've elected federal officials come take our marijuana tour. Let me show you what's happening. Go talk to um, Ann Stadelman at our social service of Posada. Mm-hmm. Talk to her about what marijuana has done and what that's costing them. They had to close their doors because the people were so violent and they were so flooded with homeless people. Um, you know, just come and I'll, I'll take you on a four block radius of, of the crime in my neighborhood. And then I'll take you out, to, I'll take you out to the county where my friend lives right next door to a cartel. Um, and then across the street, there's another one and she'll take you around. She'll show you all the legal and illegal marijuana grows living amongst each other, how people are moving out, how, um, the older um, people in our community don't have the resources to move out and are right. stuck. Right. So no, they don't they don't talk about the costs and they won't talk about the costs and the media doesn't necessarily allow us to talk about the costs. That's such an important point. I can tell you from my involvement with the local police officers, um, a big problem not, around the country, not just here locally, is that most police departments have no way 
to charge somebody with driving while stoned, DWS. And it's, a, it's an entire expensive lot of training that the police have to go through in order to be able to detect it. Then they have to get to court, and I'm sure there'll be groundbreaking cases that come up. But here's the other cost. Driving while impaired by marijuana is a terribly dangerous thing. I, I, I don't know how many fatalities have been caused by people that have been stoned because we're not tracking it right now, as far as I know. Well, there, there's some tracking it, but the numbers are minuscule because the, the true number is not being able to be detected because sure. of the, road, the lack of roadside testing. We've had a 155% increase of roadside fatalities just from marijuana in, in Pueblo, in Colorado. It's absolutely and startling. I want to say that's about a hundred, it was like, since they legalized, we've lost, and I don't know if all of them uh, had marijuana related. I'm sure there was other things. It was like 250 people. I mean, and those are people. I mean, like, the people, I mean, they're like, oh, oh, well, it's it's not as worse as, and it's not as bad as alcohol. Our country has developed such a deep drug bias that if your loved one died from marijuana, whether it's through a suicide from a psychotic episode, um, if it's... Uh, uh, impaired driving, they minimize it. They tell you you don't matter and that you should just sit down because the numbers aren't that that high. Mm. And I'm like, they they are high mm. and they do matter. You know, Jim, I wanted to to you you mentioned a few key points that I wanted Please. to comment on if if you don't mind. Please. Um, you know how you were talking about the opioid epidemic and how that escalated to the the crisis it's at now. Yes. Um, and I want to I want to point out something that's key with that crisis. The DEA was tracking those drug companies pumping these pills into these communities, and they they were going to crack down on it. They they were going to go in and they were going to stop this and hold these drug companies accountable. And Congress and President Obama stopped that. Right. They protected the drug companies. So now it has escalated to a point. Of it's going to be a long time since we can we can we can combat this and, and people are dying at astronomical levels. Now that same thing is happening with the marijuana issue. They know that it's causing more mental illness. They know it's fueling the addiction crisis. And right now you have many federal elected officials trying to stop any pushback on the marijuana industry. You have Jared Polis that was just nominated governor in Colorado, and he has publicly said he will stop any federal enforcement. He will not share information. And and you have like Elizabeth Warren, mm -hmm. um, you have all of them pushing this as a state's rights issue. And then even President Trump had said for a period of time, he supports a state right issue. Right. And my, my question to your listeners and to anybody who's willing to talk about this, what's the point of having a federal government if they don't protect us? What's the point if they have the information, they ignore the information, and they choose to protect the drug promoters over the health and safety of the citizens? And that's what's happening again. We could have stopped and the opioid crisis could not have been so bad if we allowed the federal government to do its job. And and we didn't. I just want to remind people we are speaking with Aubrey Adams. Aubrey is an anti-marijuana <laughs> advocate. Thank you, Aubrey. She has been uh, helping us on a national basis combat some of these myths that have been promulgated by pro-business marijuana advocates. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, Chapters Radio. 
Addictive.com. People against marijuana talk about it being addictive. And you and I have just talked about your personal experience with addiction. I can direct our listeners to a couple of resources. One would be Aubrey Adams' YouTube channel. Aubrey, can they look you up on Facebook? Yeah, they sure can. I keep my page public. I don't put myself as a public figure because I'm not. I'm just a mom. Mm. And and I need to mention, too, um, they can go to momstrong.org. Momsstrong.org. Yeah, there's momstrong.org. Um, and we tell our stories on Mass and Marijuana Charade. We talk about the marijuana-induced psychosis, the psychotic breaks, the gateway um, drug, and the two, the two moms that founded that, both their sons, unfortunately, are gone, and they had committed suicide due to their psychotic breaks from marijuana. And that's where I want to point out, too, that this marijuana, we talk about the youth brain, and of course, the risks are higher with the youth, but uh, it's affecting the adult brains, too. So um, Lori Robinson, who's the founder, her, her son was Shane Robinson. He was 25 when he took his life. And he started with medical marijuana over a knee surgery. Um, He did not react well to the opioid medication he was prescribed. So they told him to take the marijuana. Well, it caused marijuana-induced psychosis in him. And um, he ended up taking his life, unfortunately. And then there's Sally Schindel, and her son is Andy Zorn. And Andy um, served our country through the U.S. Army. And he got medical marijuana, um, through the state of Arizona from a previous injury. He didn't have PTSD or anything, but he had a broken leg and it was very easy for him to go get his medical marijuana card and it caused psychotic reactions in him. And when he was 31, when he, he ended it all. Um, So I I just want to make that, um, I want, I want the viewers to know it's just not the young brain. And, and, you know, Richard Kirk was in his forties when he ate a marijuana edible and, had a psychotic break and shot his wife, Christine Kirk and PBS just had a special on that two nights ago. Mm -hmm. So, and you um, know, people, the cynics out there, I hear them all the time saying, Oh, you alarmists and this and that Aubrey gains nothing. (laughs) She gains nothing by her, her work uh, as an activist. She is simply out there fighting because she has heard firsthand. She's had her own firsthand experience and she's heard from people firsthand about their experiences. And I add my experience to that as well. And I've witnessed uh, a marijuana-induced psychosis. And I've also heard anecdotally from many other parents that describe exactly the conditions Aubrey described, which involves that psychotic break, hallucinations, disassociation with reality, vomiting, needing to use marijuana on a regular basis like any other addiction in order to, quote, feel normal, not getting out of bed, everything that you would associate with addiction. And guess what? It is addictive. Then you've got the mental health component. We talked about that, Uh, the driving component, uh, the harm that smoke does to the lungs. We worry about vaping. I hear all about vaping in schools, and we should be worried. Uh, That's another uh, big industry uh, promulgation of, of a very harmful substance, Packaged like cotton candy, watermelon, chocolate cookie dough, flavors of this vaping stuff. And guess what? It's not for a 58-year-old truck driver to quit smoking. It's being marketed to the 10, 12, 14-year-olds. 90% of all of those 0% nicotine-labeled vaping uh, items that you might see on a store shelves, guess what? They're tested. They come up positive. 90% of them for nicotine. This isn't an accident. This is big industry trying to addict our young children right under our noses. And um, I, I make the, the correlation to marijuana as well. I have seen personally 
medical marijuana, and I use quotes around that, medical marijuana being delivered, packaged as such things like Orange Kush or Jimi Hendrix's Dream. I don't know about you, Aubrey, but I've never been to a pharmacy, received a prescription with Jimi Hendrix's name on it. This isn't being, it's being marketed under a, and, and sold under a medical umbrella. But it's not medicine when you've, have, when you've got no dosing, understanding of dosing or potency. Can you or, talk to or me? List, or list of risk and harms. A list of risk and harms. Talk to me a little bit about what I'm going to call is the medical marijuana charade, if you would. Yeah. Um, well, one, one risk of harm they need to put on all their packages is a sevenfold increase for suicide. You know, if you're having a hard seven-fold time. Sevenfold increase? Sevenfold, Lancet Psychiatry 2014. Incredible. So, um, you know, all drugs will increase your risk for suicide. If you're having a hard time, if you're not having a hard time, if you're self-medicating, if you're using drugs, your chances are going to increase because you're you're um, depleting the dopamine in your brain to be able to release at a natural basis. But the number one drug that increases the risk for suicide is cocaine with a nine-fold increase. Mm. The number two drug is marijuana with a seven-fold increase. The number one cause of death in Colorado for ages 10 to 24 is suicide. The number one substance they are testing positive for is marijuana. And that's at the Colorado Health Institute 2017. You can look it right up on their website. Now, this is such an ep- a concern. <laughs> I mean, it's a concern. To me, it's like red alert. What are we doing to the children right. of our state? Yeah. As I said before, it's so ironic that in a day and age when organic everything is so important, we want to know what's in the school lunches. We, we push down hard, and we should on all of that stuff, that we actually entertain legalizing marijuana. You know, Aubrey, a, a lot of the uh, comparisons that I get from people that are pro-marijuana come from their experience with the alcohol industry. And they say, you know what? We legalized alcohol and look at all the damage it does and so on and so forth. What do you say to people that say, look, alcohol is legal. We need to legalize weed and legalize it now. I'm a bit harsh with them. (laughs) I call them very self-entitled. You know, nobody's benefiting from alcohol except the alcohol industry. Um, Nobody's benefiting from tobacco except the tobacco industry. So to add fuel on the fire to that um, is wrong. And why would we pick and accommodate people who want to use marijuana? Why would we want to accommodate people who want to profit off marijuana right. um, during this time? Why, why are we sacrificing our children and our health and safety on the, mar- on the cannabis altar? Right. That that is just wrong, and 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 they demand, you know, that that we need to do this. And it's like, well, if you want to decriminalize, you're going to use it regardless if it's legalized or not, um, you know. But legalizing it means that you are going to be exposed to it on a daily basis. For example, during my younger son's eighth grade celebration that just happened this past May, 2018. Somebody had marijuana, smoked marijuana in the parking lot, had it on them in the school. And in the gym where we were having the celebration and guess what we had to smell, you know, and how, how does a teacher approach that? So I, if I it's don't a parent, know. Yeah. If a parent's using it, they don't necessarily want to tell the parent to leave because they're there to celebrate their kid's graduation. So 
the legalization of marijuana is it will affect your life on so many levels that it's not just the addiction and the mental health crisis that comes along with it. Your whole culture is going to change and you are going to be exposed to it everywhere you go. In your movie theaters, that's a very common place. I remember um, the last movie we saw in Pueblo my, my, with my younger son, he said, hey, mom, he said, wasn't that a great movie? And and we weren't exposed to marijuana. The, the theater didn't smell like marijuana that wow. day. And I said, yeah, babe. I was like, that's such a wonderful thing. Well, we're driving home. We're about two two blocks away from our house. And the people next to us are smoking it. Mm. And it's coming into our car. So... You know- so this definitely will impact us, and, and it's about to here in Massachusetts. We've got retail locations springing up everywhere. And if you doubt Aubrey's statement that this is big business marketing, how about this? R.J. Reynolds has a long, long time ago retrofitted their factories to be able to ro- roll joints on a mass-produced basis. They did this a long, long time ago because they know about the profit involved there. And uh, they're already profit, profiting off of one fatally flawed product, which is tobacco. So marijuana is a natural add-on to that. And I don't know about you in the listening audience, but I really shudder at the thought that R.J. Reynolds and their types are profiting off of something that is is literally killing our kids. And if you doubt me, go on to Aubrey Adams' Facebook page, take a look at her testimonials on YouTube where she shares other parents' pain in the hopes that someone may hear this and be dissuaded from legalizing marijuana in their area or certainly talking to their children at a very early age about how dangerous this drug is. Um, If people want a local resource, uh, the Safe Coalition has had Dr. Ruth Pote, P-O-T-E-E, out to speak many times. Aubrey, I'm not sure you've heard her before, but she speaks specifically. She is a a family uh, internal medicine doctor out in uh, Greenfield, Massachusetts, and she has a subspecialty in addiction, particularly in early onset addiction uh, with our adolescents. And There are three risk factors to becoming an addict. There's a genetic risk factor. There is early childhood trauma. By the way, trauma is defined based on how you perceive it at that time in your life. So maybe that's just not feeling comfortable in your own skin, which is like 99% of all adolescents. And then there's a third one, and that's early exposure to a mind-altering substance. And I'm here to tell you right now that as somebody who has run a not-for-profit drug coalition now for the better part of three years as somebody that takes phone calls on a regular basis and also goes to parent support groups every Monday night, learn to cope uh, right here in Franklin and listens to the stories of people that have been impacted by uh, drug addiction in their family. They all start out with the same, same exact story. I've never heard one that doesn't start. My son or daughter started using when they were very, very young, 10, 12, 13, 14, with chronic marijuana use. They talk about psychotic breaks. They talk about the things that Aubrey has described. They talk about suicide attempts. And then they talk about an escalation of use and addictive behavior. I do know several young people that are in, uh, when I say young, I mean under the age of 25, that are in long-term recovery, like Aubrey's son happily is in recovery, battling addiction to marijuana as the primary drug. So I I urge everybody to take whatever preconceived notions you've built up, put them aside and look at the science, listen to people like Aubrey Adams, listen to people that have real life stories to talk about. The medical use, Aubrey, do you see 
marijuana as having any medicinal components? Well, the, the experts I talked to um, do say the CBD part of the uh, plant does have potential medical benefits. Now, um, there is, there's no reason to legalize medical marijuana anymore because there's an FDA-approved CBD oil called Epidiolex right. now. And it's got, you know, people say, and, and with the marijuana industry, they'll start marketing and saying, oh, there's no THC in this. And, and that is not true. <laughs> um, it is very, there's no such thing as 100% CBD oil. Even the FDA approved Epidiolex has 0.03% THC and it has no contaminants. So what they did with that drug is they um, reduced it to a schedule five. So it can be tested more and studied more. Um, notice that they don't take um, the CBD oil, most likely from the marijuana industry. Maybe there's one or two out there that are making a clean product. I don't know about it. The majority of them are not making a clean product um, that doesn't have contaminants or doesn't have a lot of THC in it. But they're going to study that drug, um, the CBD, and see what it can help with. But they don't they don't talk even about like the marijuana industry, medical marijuana industry does not talk about the side effects of the CBD oil. They don't talk about that. It can com possibly convert to THC in an acidic environment. They don't talk about how it can affect the liver. Um, and, and so the FDA approved um, CBD oil that they have actually lists those potential risk and harms. And you can get it through a medical professional and not a bud tender who's playing Russian roulette with your brain. Mm. Um, so um, it, it's a tragedy that people aren't well informed with this. And um, I, I think they're going to come out with more um, medical benefits with the CBD oil. Um, they just had a big conference in Pueblo, Colorado at their Cannabis Institute at the Colorado State University in Pueblo, where I'm a graduate from. And I go around and I talk to the doctors and stuff that I trust and Dr. Libby Stout and Dr. Hillebrand, he's a chemist. Libby Stout's an addiction psychiatrist. And, and I'm in touch with Dr. Christine Miller, who's a neuroscientist and an expert at psychosis and schizophrenia. And I, and I asked them, I want to make sure I understand when I do talk about this, what I'm talking about. And they have all said, there's absolutely no medical benefit to THC. Mm, absolutely mm. none. And, and you will see even um, a testimony on my YouTube channel from my friend, who um, has cancer, and she was told to get a, go get a CBD product, and she was told to go get the Charlotte's Web strain, which is considered more of a high-end. It's through the Stanley Brothers in Colorado Springs, who are doctors, um, to help her with her pain, um, with her cancer. So she did, and she drank it in a soda form. Um, she had a, a psychotic break. Mm. I mean, she was hallucinating bad, and you can hear her testimony on my YouTube channel. But, you know, I was thinking about why there must have been THC in that product for her to have that type of reaction. And then I started reading the science about how CBD can convert to THC in an acidic environment. So the soda, you know, whether that happened or not, I don't have the proof of that, but I have a testimony. And and buyer beware. Why, why isn't that on all the labels right. in their industry? Why are they not getting away with this? And you know, nobody's holding them accountable and they're harming children too. Like 70% of the medical and recreational marijuana shops in, um, in, um, Colorado have been recommending high potency marijuana to pregnant women to treat their nausea. And you can see this, but I, I 
put these bibs right. on all the marijuana shops. The bib is a cute little bib, looks like for an infant, obviously, and it says, don't hurt our future CO kids with a marijuana leaf and a red yeah, Colorado stop sign kids. through it. Yeah, Colorado okay. kids, yeah, yeah. The marijuana industry promised that they would not expose children to mm. marijuana, but they are. Mm. They're exposing unborn babies to marijuana and nobody's holding them accountable. Just hard to believe. Aubrey, is there a clearinghouse where people can find studies relative to this? You cited several doctors that you're in regular contact with. Is there a place where people can go to find credible information about this? Well, yeah, there's there's several. There's Parents Opposed to Pot. There's and You can go to the website. You can go to Mom Strong. You can go to Smart Approach to Marijuana. They're the national organization, the lobbying group to not to, to push back on the legalization of marijuana. And they are um, ran by Dr. Kevin Sabat, who is just a wealth of information. Um, and you and his, his their website is really good. Mm-hmm. You can find a lot of great information on there. I'll post I'm, these links on my podcast. So if anybody wants to look, it's chaptersradio.com. And we'll have links under this show to exactly what Aubrey's talking about. The um, federal organization that really um, specifically talks about Colorado is the Rocky Mountain Haida. And um, they talk about, that. that's the latest research. They just had a whole report that came out in September 2018. Right. I could send you that link if you don't have it. Well, Aubrey, I want to thank you for, first of all, your advocacy, for speaking up uh, and not laying down on this issue. Um, it's so important to have people like you that are active and they're getting other parents the information that, he, that they need. I'm hoping that people are listening to this out there that have young children, uh, adolescents, or maybe even before adolescents, that will be able to responsibly talk to their kids about what really is a charade with the marijuana industry. This, unfortunately, is a runaway train right now in Massachusetts. We've got real retail locations opening everywhere, yet the number one phone call I field uh, currently, as the a volunteer leader for a for a drug coalition in getting people help, has to do with marijuana. And I'm getting calls from high schools. I'm getting calls from middle schools. I'm getting calls from parents, and I'm seeing the halls filled with people that are like Aubrey's son are in recovery uh, early on for something that is being marketed to us as harmless. So, Aubrey, I want to thank you again. I really look forward to watching everything you do and getting more information out to parents that could really use it. Thank you for the opportunity. I just want to encourage every out there, if they want to share their story, whether publicly or anonymously, they can go to momstrong.org. They can they can contact me over Facebook. And just to end on a positive note, recovery works, recovery matters. And there's a documentary called Generation Found that talks about the Houston recovery model. Um, and we have a whole community of recovery here. And then the best documentary to, to find out about Colorado and the legalization of marijuana, you're going to want to watch the documentary Chronic State, and it's free on the internet. Um, Drug Free Idaho produced it, and it's a fabulous, sad <laughs> Um, documentary. But if you want to know the true impact of legalized marijuana, please watch Chronic State and please watch Generation Found and promote prevention and recovery, not drug promotion. Fantastic. Aubrey, uh, best of luck for your son's continued recovery and your success in Houston, Texas. You're a brave woman. I'm very pleased to have finally met you formally. And uh, thanks for coming on the program. It's great to meet you, Jim. Thank you for the opportunity everything you do, too. I wish you and your family the very best. Thanks so much. For my guest, Aubrey Adams, my name's Jim Derrick, saying thanks for listening to Chapters Radio, and I'll see you next week.